The primary care podcast is written and edited by a family physician for an audience of other physicians, nurse practitioners, physicians, assistants, residents, and medical students interested in primary care topics. This is not a podcast for patients and should not be used as medical advice. This is also a personal podcast produced on my own time and solely reflecting my personal opinions. Statements of this podcast do not reflect the views or policies of my employer, past or present, or any other organization with which I may be affiliated. Thank you for listening to the Primary Care Podcast. I'm Dr. Mark List, here to bring you the latest news, guidelines, and updates from primary care sources around the globe. Keeping it under 15 minutes long because you're in a hurry and I'm not that smart. Welcome back to the podcast, pod listeners, pod girls and boys, pod boys, pod men, pod women, uh, whatever pod people you are. Uh, Today, we are going to do something very different uh, than what we did last week with Coronavirus Update. Uh, It's not going to go away uh, if you're in the United States like I am. Uh, In fact, if you're in the Midwest like I am, uh, our peak is not going to hit us until uh, the middle to end of May. Uh, actually, our surge won't even begin until the first part of May if if social distancing keeps up. Uh, so we uh, we have to be primary care doctors for at least another month before they move us to the ICU, uh, before they move us to the ER, and uh, while we can still be useful. So today we're going to talk about a new topic uh, in the theme uh, during this during this time of uh, social distancing and protecting not only patients but also staff, and that is the value of a virtual uh, visits. And I have been wanting to talk about virtual visits for the longest time, and I'm so happy that it's finally relevant. Uh, So let's jump into it. So we're not going to spend a lot of time talking about what virtual visits are. I think almost everybody who's listening to this probably knows what virtual visits are. Uh, Using digital technology to do a face-to-face visit uh, in the office without actually seeing the person in clinic. Why is this so important? Well, obviously, the the fewer people that you as a primary care clinician in the clinic uh, need to be tracking in and out of your doors is going to eliminate the the amount of potential transfer from asymptomatic or mildly symptomatic or even fully symptomatic patients, uh, and yet still provide a better level of care than a simple phone call. Uh, Patients have incredible satisfaction uh, with most virtual visits. And, and the data is really clear. Uh, Kaiser Permanente and some other places uh, have uh, have really done, um, uh, not, not only Kaiser, but some other places as well, have done really, really good data on virtual visits. Um, uh, many organizations are pushing this more and more because it saves time, it saves staff, it saves resources, where you don't need really super expensive clinic space uh, if you can do a lot of your visits virtually. So there's a ton of economic benefit. It frees up your nurses um, who aren't rooming the patients. So there's a lot of there's a lot of value. Now, obviously, it's not a one-size-fits-all. We're going to talk about that at the end. Um, but there's a lot of net positives. Uh, you can do this many different ways. Many of you, you have a built-in uh, EMR capable of handling virtual visits. Uh, I know Epic does, uh, Cerner does, uh, Meditech, the new Expanse product does. There are several others that definitely do, but many others don't. Uh, for so, those of you who are independent or have smaller EMR companies, or if you're like me and on a super old product uh, that does not have uh, a uh, virtual visit solution built in, uh, accessory secondary vendors can be really helpful. Uh, if you are an independent right now uh, looking for a free uh, piece of technology. Um, there's a doxy, D-O-X-Y dot me. I don't have any stock in that company or they have not promoted this. They have not uh, sold me any 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 products. I'm not making any money, but if doxy.me is listening, uh, please reach out. I will shill for you. Um, but it's a free HIPAA compliant, secure uh, uh, digital space uh, that you can use with patients. And uh, I've used it, uh, uh, tested it out. It works pretty well. Uh, for those of you who are in the United States, CMS slash Medicare slash most insurances have waived the HIPAA uh, compliant uh, uh, virtual visit solutions. So FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, uh, WebExes, those are all definitely acceptable. Um, I will tell you that uh, my own personal experience, I don't know that I'd want to hand out um, 
my FaceTime, my number, or my, my Skype. But then again, you could always make accounts for Skype, or you could have a, an individual iPad that's like a clinic iPad that could do FaceTime on it, um, or you know a Zoom account that's not necessarily your personal account. Um, so there's lots of ways to get around that. Uh, but again, uh, there's some tips and tricks we're going to talk about. Number one is, uh, why should we be doing these? Uh, we're protecting our patients from not having to come into the clinic where they could be exposed to dirty patients uh, and and dirty air and uh, faci- and you know door handles and chair handles and just things that they could be touching or breathing in that could expose them to this. Uh, and many of our patients don't need to be seen in person. Now, don't get me wrong, again, we're going to talk at the end about why we can't do this and, and when we can't do this. But there are many patients that this is a really, really good uh, uh uh, healthcare option. So what are some tips and tricks? Uh, some things that I've learned and that I've researched and that uh, have, have come across in many different ways. And that's number one, you got to be prepared. And the preparation um, comes down to where you are doing the virtual visit, how you look, your camera setup, your microphone setup. Uh, many of the these companies, these products have you know ways to test your mic, test your camera. If they don't come embedded, you really need to be practicing it on it with another staff member to test to make sure your camera and that your voice sound good. I think that uh, Logitech makes a really, really good uh, webcam. Uh, if you have a desktop that doesn't, or a laptop that doesn't have a webcam built in, that's a really, really good quality webcams. Uh, Logitech and uh, I, I use a Yeti mic for about uh, ninety bucks. You can get a, a world class uh, audio. Uh, if you want that. Uh, otherwise, there's many other cheaper microphones. There are headsets that come with microphones that are okay. But again, you're trying to be as professional as possible and you're trying to be able to communicate as well as possible. And for some people that don't speak English as well or it's not their second, it's not their first language or they're on a limited Wi-Fi connection um, or using their cell phone, you want to be as clear in picture and in sound as you possibly can. So if you are planning to do these for the foreseeable future, this is the equivalent of making your exam rooms nicer. This is the equivalent of wearing something that looks professional when you're in the office. Uh, so don't skimp on the webcam. Don't skimp on the mic if you plan on be doing these uh, for the foreseeable future. And we'll talk about that at the end too. Uh, this is, we are, we are now seeing the wave, at least in the United States, where payers have opened the floodgates to using virtual visits. I've been I've been on the virtual visit bandwagon for since I've been out of med school, basically, uh, since I've been out of residency, trying to push this. And uh, I think it never made sense economically because no one was paying for it. They were paying cash only or uh, reimbursing you half your normal rate. So it made no sense from a provider standpoint or a patient standpoint. But now that it's being covered like a normal 99212 or 213 or 214, um, I, think it's, I think it's a slam dunk. Uh, so other tips and tricks. Uh, we talked about the importance of good quality hardware. Um, you can't uh, you can't also neglect your surroundings. Uh, my organization bought this beautiful screen for me when I first started. Uh, it, it provides a really nice way to make it look very professional with a good backdrop. Uh, if you're doing this at home, make sure you have a very professional uh, sound. Uh, you're not having your kids or your dog uh, that are going to come through um, your audio, so make sure it's a pretty soundproof area. And again, be very cognizant of what the patient is seeing behind you. Uh, make it look as professional and as, as kind of... Um, blah as possible uh, and and try not to uh, uh, make it too uh, um, homey appearing because you do want it to be professional. Um, but at the same time, uh, having a good audio quality room, sometimes if you're trying to use your exam room, the audio quality can be quite um, noisy. Uh, there can be a lot of background noise or white noise that interrupt the uh, normal audio. So just be, be, be cautious about where you are doing these. Uh, your secluded office at work or secluded office at home is probably your best option. It's really, really really, really, really important based on all the studies that have come out from all these places and all the companies that are doing these that you 
uh, take the time at the beginning to address the patient like by name. Uh, if these are if these are urgent care appointments, uh, you want them to feel like they're more than just connecting and you were just a number. If they're your own personal patients, you're going to have more time with the patients virtually. There's going to be less nurse time. There's going to be less rooming time. There's going to be a lot less check-in time. You're actually going to have more time statistically with them. And these visits take longer, be, uh, shorter, because naturally patients aren't on the the digital screens as much as they are in person. There's a perceived uh, sense of time shrinkage uh, when patients are on the digital device where they actually feel like they're spending more time than they actually are. So you're going to have more time. Take more time to uh, introduce yourself. Take more time to, um, to to make a connection and give the patient some time to uh, to explain their story. You know, the, the statistics... 20 seconds, if not even even sooner. With virtual visits, you're going to have time. And with the way that the digital connection works, it's really hard if you are trying to interrupt or talk over the patient because of the slight delay. Uh, it becomes really awkward. So that initial letting the patient talk is so, so super important, not only, not only for their own satisfaction, but it actually makes the visit go easier if you just let them talk uh, and tell their story first. Uh, I know that's always the adage, and we're always supposed to do that from a quality standpoint anyways in the normal office visit, but it's even more important not only for them and their satisfaction, but to make the make the flow better. So that's a big tip. Uh, the other thing is it is really super duper duper important that you are knowledgeable about where your eyes are going. Uh, I have a dual screen setup, so I can have uh, orders on one screen and the patient on one screen. I can uh, I can be documenting on one screen and have the patient on one screen. But you really have to be careful with virtual visits. Uh, if you've ever been on FaceTime with somebody and you see them looking down, looking left, looking right, looking up, it really makes them look disinterested. And for you, if you are looking at another screen, if you are looking at a paper on your desk, if you are looking at their chart uh, you know, on your second screen, it really is distracting. Because unlike the exam room where they can get your entire body posture, they can get all of your nonverbal body language, if you're not making eye contact with that webcam and you're even if you're looking down, you're looking at the patient's face on your screen, it doesn't have the same effect as if you're staring at that webcam. And so, uh, you know, you practice with FaceTime with your with your wife, uh, with a kid, with a, a friend, a colleague, uh, whoever it is. Uh, but you'll be you'll it'll be remarkable if you have your staff just look to the right or left, even intermittently about how distracted uh, the person on the other end of the virtual visit appears. So be really careful about where your eyes are. Not in the middle of the screen. Not on a different screen. Give them when they're talking eyes on the camera as much as possible. When you do look off camera, so like I will look off camera as I'm talking and say, okay, I'm looking into your chart right now for the last time we talked about this, or I'm looking uh, at your last blood pressures because they can't see what you're doing off screen. And again, just making sure that they feel like they have your whole attention really makes a big difference in terms of uh, improving the patient relationship um, and, and, and the patient experience. So I think those are super big important tips that uh, they can't see what you're doing off camera. And so if you are looking distracted, it's important that you tell them what you are doing so it, it applies to patient care. Um, you have to be a good communicator. Uh, I, I know a lot of I know a lot of providers are really, really good uh, with bedside manner and some are not. And that same bedside manner in the clinic absolutely might not apply to your 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 video visit skills, your telehealth skills. 
if you're not taking the time and the effort to focus on that webcam, to focus on giving the patient your attention, and a lot of I, I'm a I'm a gesticulator with my hands. I move my hands. I I, I uh, uh, as I'm even doing this podcast, I'm shaking my hands. I'm I'm, I'm making hand movements like an idiot because nobody else is here in my bedroom closet, and yet when I do these with virtual visits, you have to be aware of where your hands are. Sometimes I'll be explaining something and I'll be using hand motions to explain them and my hands won't even be on screen. And sometimes uh, when I try to demonstrate certain things, uh, the other day we were talking about uh, a patient with COVID um, and he, uh, or uh, potential for COVID and he had asthma. So I was trying to describe uh, bronchial constriction and dilation using different inhalers, et cetera, uh, spacers. And I was trying to demonstrate with my hand making a circle. And the entire time I was doing it, I wasn't looking at the screen. I was looking at the webcam. And I didn't even realize, I looked at myself uh, briefly. I looked down uh, just to see where I was doing. And my hand was completely off camera. It wasn't even, it was even on camera. Uh, so you really have to be careful about, uh, about what your screen is. And, and so I gesticulate with my hands higher up close, closer to my face when I want to, when I want to emphasize things, um, because your body language is really uh, limited in the clinic, they can see your posture, they can see you're leaning in, they can see a lot of different things, or or your or you know just how your body mechanics are. Here, um, in the virtual visit, they can really only see neck, head, and that's about it. And you don't want to zoom out to the point where they can see your whole body because then that's super awkward and they can't see or maybe even hear you as well. Um, so uh, again, it's really a, a trial and error, but do the best you can. Again, try maybe uh, having staff or somebody uh, as a trial run so they can kind of give you some feedback or some pointers or somebody in your organization does it well and get their opinion on uh, your your demeanor and your style with virtual visits. Um, these work great for medication rechecks. These work great for things where the patient is checking blood sugars, for example, and you can just have them list off their blood sugars or even put the phone up and, and kind of swipe through. If your EMR, many EMRs now with the embedded uh, virtual visits have the ability to upload some of that data, uh, upload questionnaires, uh, upload blood pressures, things like that, take pictures and send them to you. Uh, those are all really, really super helpful to, to speed up the, the visit, make it look good. Uh, checking out skin lesions, this is great. Um, you can have, you can actually do a ton virtually, a ton virtually. Um, and if you have to have the patient come in for a part of the exam, you definitely can. Um, uh, I talked about a couple of weeks ago, I talked about how uh, physicals don't lower mortality. They don't, they don't prevent death or, or major, uh, disease from certain illnesses. Uh, and part of that obviously physical is the actual physical exam, touching the patient portion. And, you know, internal medicine, the American College of Physicians uh, have said for a long time that the actual sensitivity, specificity, positive predictive value, negative predictive value, all the statistics about the physical exam are actually pretty garbage. Not that it's completely worthless, especially if they have abdominal pain. There's some good, you know, things that help you with your diagnosis. But a general, well, healthy person, a physical exam is 99% of the time worthless. Yeah, sure, you're going to catch a, an AFib every now and then where the patient's completely symptomatic. Yeah, sure, you're going to catch a prostate nodule, which may or may not mean anything. Uh, yeah, sure, you can you can feel um, some vague fullness in the right upper quadrant, maybe feel some hepatomegaly before, you know, it's it's relevant. Um, but that's but for people who are asymptomatic, uh, most time the physical exam, it, period, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, you know, those rare cases, one in a hundred, where the physical exam actually caught something uh, before they had symptoms. But, uh, you know, we're not talking about symptomatic people. Uh, 
you have to do your best to use statistics and evidence uh, since you can't hear the patient's lungs. You have to, since you don't have a full set of vitals, um, you, could, you can look at the crowded, uh, you know, the jugulars or the carotids to see if you can see the pulse. Um, you can have the patient kind of say their own pulse. If you're wondering if it is regular or irregular, you can have them say it out loud if they can take their own pulse. Um, sometimes if the patient has a blood pressure cuff at home, uh, you can use those readings. Uh, blood, blood sugar monitoring, you can use those readings. Uh, weights, if, especially if you're doing heart failure, uh, you could do that as well. But there's a ton of things, especially with well child checks uh, for your older kids who are very healthy and have been healthy, uh, you know, and we're not super needing close, accurate, uh, you know, uh, vital signs because they're, they're not growth restricted or developmentally delayed in any way. Uh, a lot of these things can be done as long as you're doing developmental screens and behavioral things. You could do them online. Um, all of mental health can pretty much be done online with very few exceptions. Um, a, a lot, like I said, of medication rechecks. A lot of your physicals, uh, you know, when we talk about getting prostates, uh, cancer screens or colon cancer screens or mammograms or, or anything like that, uh, you can have all of the discussions outside of an in-person visit. You can have the discussions about all the patient's regular questions about their health, uh, their blood pressure, their cholesterol, their diet, their exercise levels. You can do all of that uh, virtually. Um, yeah, you can't lay a hands on people. And so there is some limitations. You cannot do everything virtually. We can't pretend like we can see everything virtually. There's some applications like Tito boxes, which are quite expensive, but, you know, have a stethoscope, have some, uh, you know, otoscope, they have dermatoscopes, they have things that are helpful. Um, but not every patient's going to have those. And I don't think that'll happen anytime soon. If that does happen, that's going to make virtual visits even better. Um, but even things like uh, home Dopplers for OBs uh, now with the coronavirus, a lot of uh, OB patients are getting Dopplers at home and blood pressure cuffs. So I think we're going to see more and more things being done virtually. And again, as payers are now paying for it, uh, I think it's even better uh, to continue to do this. I think that we should be doing this uh, not only for the coronavirus, but also in general. There's a, a lot of times when I'm just, I need to see a person once a year for a medication recheck. Um, they can get their labs before the, you know, or they're usually getting their labs before they come in to see me anyways to make sure their cholesterol or their kidney function or their potassium, their sodium are fine, or they're checking A1Cs and giving a microalbumin creatinine ratio on the urine. Those things are all happening before the appointment anyways, uh, or they're happening after the appointment. So it's not even like they are, they're getting them done at the exact same time I'm seeing them in the clinic and they still have to go to lab anyways. So uh, again, uh, oftentimes people are coming in, you know, two, three days before they're getting their labs drawn and so that we can discuss them during the appointment. So I don't think much is going to change if we go to a lot of things virtually. Um, I got people that come in once a year for medication rechecks. We can do a lot of that virtually. So again, I, I think this is the tide is changing in primary care, at least in America, where virtual visits are going to be a significant, small, but significant percent of our business going forward. I, I, I could expect to see 15 or 20% of my business after this is all done being virtual visits forever. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to virtual visits in general. I think they're a really good uh, uh option for healthcare. I think it's a really good option for patients that don't want to miss work or, you know, people that uh, can't leave or travel and we can do things from their home. Uh, hopefully nursing homes then use this time to upgrade their capabilities. And so I can see nursing home patients and they don't have to be transported. But at the same time, we can at least have face-to-faces with staff involved then too. And they can give me more details other than just, you know, writing one or two sentences on the paper. So again, I think there's a ton of net benefit. Uh, I think this is awesome for, you know, hospice consults and, and care. Uh, I think it helps diversify our workforce so we don't have to have one provider at every facility 
and we can have for, for remote and rural access. I think this is great. Um, I think this, I think there's many good uses, but I think my big take home point is please practice, be good, get better at this. It's a different type of bedside manner. It's a different type of skill set, and you really do need to practice. And it really does make a big difference if you put the time in and the commitment into it. So I hope everyone enjoys this. I hope this was an interesting podcast, a discussion about virtual this going forward. And I hope everyone is staying safe. Um, coronavirus uh, is, is, disproportionately affects healthcare workers. So please, 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 everyone stay safe, wear your PPE, keep sick people out of the clinic if you can, if you can do things virtually, do them, and uh, please stay safe. God bless, uh, and let's all get through this. Uh, and with that, we'll sign off saying, uh, you don't have to stay up all night to stay up to date. Uh, God bless you, stay safe, and uh, Bob, take us out. <laughs>